So, and isn't that great that no matter what's going on in our lives, we can praise the Lord in, in good and in bad. In, when, 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 we, when, when everything's smooth, we can praise the Lord. When the, the storms are raging, we can praise the Lord. We can trust the Lord. And I'm grateful for that. We're so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're joining us online. And, and what a great day it is to, to be together. You know, years ago, uh, I was teaching my son how to play tennis. He was in the seventh grade. And, and uh, we were at our house. And, and we went out in the driveway. Or, or actually, we went in the street. So we were in the street right in front of our house. And, and we were just hitting the tennis ball in the street. And this guy came walking by. He was just exercising. And, and uh, he says, oh, you're, you're teaching your son how to play tennis. How great. And, and he... And, uh, and he goes, my son played tennis. And we, we just started talking. And, and in that conversation, there was a door opened, really, for the gospel. And this guy was, uh, uh, he still lives in our neighborhood. And, and um, um, I want to be respectful of his privacy. But um, he, um, really smart guy. He's got a lot of degrees. And uh, we, I brought up the gospel. And you know what he said to me? He looked at me and said, uh, hey, hey, wait, wait a minute. I don't talk about uh, two things publicly, religion and politics. Those are two things I don't talk about. And so he just kind of ended the conversation and just left. And, uh, and, and you know, I, I still see him all the time. And boy, he walks on the other side of the street uh, when I'm out there, and, and, uh, which is okay. I'm, I'm respectful of the guy. But, um, but, but you know, I, I thought about that, that conversation. That, that's not something to be private when, when it comes to our faith in Christ. It's not a private thing. It's not meant to be private. That's why our baptism this afternoon is so important. If you've not been baptized, you realize that's an opportunity for you to today at 4 o'clock to make a public proclamation of your faith in Christ? You know, baptism, what, what does it do? It, it, you're, you're telling the world that, that Jesus is in your life, that Jesus has saved you. And I know a lot of people that, that maybe they were baptized young, and they're, but, but when it really comes to when they were saved, their baptism is on the wrong side of their salvation. And if that's you... You could come and be baptized today. Oh, there's room for you. And uh, uh, it's going to be a great afternoon at 4 o'clock. You ought to come. And, uh, but, but if you have not yet been baptized, you can do that today. And I would invite you to do that. Now, when you're baptized, it's interesting because what we'll say today, and we've got to, I want to clarify this, that the baptism is not something that saves you. Uh, faith is what saves you. When, when you put your faith in Christ, that's when you're saved. That's when the Holy Spirit comes into your life. Now, what we're going to say today when, when people are baptized is you were, you're buried with Christ and you're raised to walk a new, new, in the newness of life because, because baptism is this picture of what happens when Christ comes into your life. He gives you a new life. He, he, he brings you from death to life. Your old life dies and you have a new life in Christ. Now, baptism is not a moment where, where you're working for your salvation, but this is really important. Baptism is a moment that, that it comes from our salvation. It's one of these acts of worship that, that is a natural result. Once we're saved, once Christ indwells in us, we, um, we work from that salvation. And that's, that's so important to understand because I know so many people that think, man, if I just do more good than bad, I'm going to go to heaven. Or church is about just checking off some religious boxes. No, no. You, it's my prayer that every one of you have come to faith in Christ. You come to know Christ as your Savior. And, and, and baptism is just this public statement, this public step of proclamation that Christ brought you from death to life. 
So you could do that today. I want to invite you to that. Now, this morning, we're going to turn back to Colossians. If you have your Bibles, turn to Colossians chapter 3. And, and one of the things that we're going to be doing over the next, as, as we get into Colossians 3 and 4, is we're going to learn what it looks like to work from that salvation. That's really important as, as a believer, as a follower of Christ. The, uh, we, now, if you remember right, if you're with us, if you've been with us for a while, the, uh, the first of the year we, we, we started the book of Colossians, and, and we got through Colossians 1 and 2, and, and then we took a break during the Easter season and kind of turned our face to Easter. And now, over the uh, next several weeks, we're going to go back to Colossians 3 and 4 and, and look at this, finish this book. Now, Colossians is an important book. It's a really good book to study, and let me remind you about the big point of Colossians, the the thing that you have to understand as you look at this letter that Paul wrote to the church at Colossae, because this letter was written to a church, and it's still relevant to our church. But but when you look at this this letter, you see in this this book the, 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 the temptation to miss Christ to miss who Christ is and, and what he's done. And, and, and you see this, um, this challenge not to just be religious. You know, what is religion? Colossians helps us understand. Religion is man's attempt to get to God. But, but when you think about the story of Christianity, it reveals a different story. Because Christianity is the story, the moment when God came to man, that God came here. And, and in, in the book of Colossians, you recognize this glaring message, and here it is, that Christ is not just prominent. And, and that's what a lot of people look at. They say, oh, the, Christianity is one of the best options. But, but we see over and over again and that Christ is not just prominent, he's preeminent. That's a big word. That's an important word in Scripture, that Christ is preeminent. Christ is supreme. And in these final two chapters, you know what we, we see? Paul gets really practical in these chapters, and, and he really helps us unpack what the, what the doctrine of preeminence really looks like, how it looks, what it looks like in our lives. Because, you know, as Christians, it's important not, to, to not just know the truth, right? It's important to live the truth. And God's called us to live and to walk with Christ. When Christ came into our lives, what did he do? He changed us. He is changing us from the inside out. And this makes sense, right? People are going to be baptized today because the Holy Spirit moved in their life. He saved them. And when you are saved, what happens? There's, there's power that we have. Because the Holy Spirit is in us. When, when we're saved, there's understanding with the Word of God. Because when you open the Word, it's like, oh my goodness, this makes sense to me. That's what the Holy Spirit does in your life. There's, you know what else there is? When the Holy Spirit comes into your life, there's conviction of sin. I have a good friend that, that I, I st- we were high school friends. I shared the gospel with him so many times in high school. And, and it was not till later that he came to Christ. And he lives in Florida now. And, and and, you know, I remember after he came to Christ, he was living with this girl, and I was like, Chuck, that's not right. He's like, oh, man, that's why I feel so bad, and, uh, because this is sin. And, and, you know, that's what happens when the Holy Spirit comes into your life. He convicts you of sin. You know what happens when the Holy Spirit comes into your life? There's this desire to start honoring the Lord. So, so some of you, if you've not been baptized, there's something in you that if you've no, come to know Christ, you're like, I need to do that. You know what that is? That's the Lord. 
at work in your life. That's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. There's this growing passion to seek the Lord. There's this move to connect to the Lord personally. And, 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 and you know, here's the, here's the reality. Here's what makes Christianity unique, is that God calls us to this personal relationship with him. And that's something I don't want us to miss. You know, it's interesting in Paul's day in in the first century when the letter of Colossians was written, it it wasn't uncommon for religious people or, you know, because it was a pluralistic society, which we can relate to. Pluralism means that there were lots of religions. There were lots of religious beliefs. That's That's a great descriptor of America, right? We don't live in a, 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 we really don't live in a Christian nation. We live in a nation of pluralism. There's all kinds of religious beliefs. That's the reality. When it comes to really the true believers in Christ, I bet it's less than 7%, most people say. 7% of the United States are, are truly Christian, meaning holding to the tenets of Christianity. So we live in a pluralistic world, and in this pluralistic society of the first century, it was not uncommon for these religious people, whether it was their, um, you know, Greek gods that they served, or their family deities that they served, or whatever that they served, um, they would offer sacrifices, but then it really, their, their sacrifices to their deity really wouldn't impact the way they lived. Well, Jesus entered the world. And Jesus showed up, and he, he changed the heart of the disciples. And he says, look, your relationship with me impacts every aspect of your life. And, and, and Jesus brought a different way of living, and that's true for us. Christ, when he saved us, he, he changed us. And in, in fact, when, when you think about you being united with Christ, the, the Holy Spirit bringing you from death to life, do you know what God does in us? Do you know what the Spirit of God does in us? He, he stops us from continuous sin, doesn't he? He confronts us, doesn't he? he, he the Holy Spirit convicts us. This is what you have in a relationship with God. He moves you to obedience. He moves you to, to walk with him and to connect with him. Uh, you know what else he does? I've seen in my own life, he sends believers to confront me when I get off track. And this is just how the Spirit of God works. And here's what I love about the Spirit of God. You realize that when the Spirit of God comes into you, He will never stop working in you. He will never stop, uh, He will never leave you. He will never uh, walk away from you. Even though you can rebel, His Holy Spirit moves us to this lifetime of obedience. That's where Paul shifts in the book of Colossians. So look at Colossians chapter 3, you'll start in verse 1. Would you stand with me? And let's read verses 1 through 11 this morning. If you're new today, if you're in your living room today, we're so glad that you're here. Let's stand in honor of God's word, even if you're in your living room, because it's just a, a physical posture for us to recognize, God, this is your word to us, and you got our attention. So let's look at it. Verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, 
then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked, when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. And this is the word of the Lord. Thank you. you may be seated. Now, now, this is important to recognize this moment of baptism. Because when, when, when salvation happens, baptism is such a beautiful picture. Um, salvation is a gift that you didn't earn, you didn't deserve. But when that gift comes to you, you have this whole new motivation. You've gone from death to life. You're alive. And here's, here's what I want you to know. The, did you know the, the Bible was written so that you can know how to have eternal life? Some of you don't know how to have eternal life. Some of you walked in the room today and you're lost. You don't know Christ. You don't know how to have eternal life. Eternal life is not something you earn, you deserve. It's a gift you receive. Many of us know we've received that gift. We've trusted Christ. Now let's understand how the Spirit of God now empowers us and moves us and convicts us because, you know, the Bible was also written to show us how we can have this close and personal relationship with God that interacts with God, that connects with God. You know, salvation, it, it, it gives us the gift of eternal life, but, but recognize that's the start. That then begins this life with God. And oh my goodness, what a life it is. What a journey it is. And, and this morning, here's what I want you to see. Point number one is this, that, that I want us to see how we can focus on our relationship with Christ. Do you realize that you, you've got to focus on your relationship with Christ? Look at, look at verse 1. It says, Colossians 3, If then you, being raised with Christ... You're raised to life with Christ. Okay, seek things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. We saw last week how, how Jesus ascended to the throne, meaning he's ruling. He's the, the creator. He's the ruler, and, and he's at the right hand of God. Verse 2, set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are, not on, things that are on earth. Isn't that a problem for us? Don't we, don't we really have the temptation to think that this world is, is the goal? This world's not the goal. Verse, verse 3, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now, now uh, baptism such a beautiful picture because it's like you'll, you'll be in that water and we'll say you've died and you're raised to walk a new life. 
And that picture is this, when, when you were saved, that old life dies. And, and, and the fullness explanation of this is found, if you want to just do some study on your own, in Romans 6 through 8. That's a really cool uh, description of this death-to-life moment. Um, but, but here's what I want us to understand when you were saved. Christ not only died for us, but we died with him. Our, our sinful, our old life died with him. In 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says this, for we were all baptized by one spirit as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink, that the spirit of Christ, when he enters into our heart, we, we died with Christ. And, and you know what this means? That this means that, that you have real power over this sinful nature. These things that we're to get rid of, you realize you can't get rid of that on your own power. But it's the power of Christ in you. And I want you to notice the implications of the spirit of Christ in you. Look at verse three. He says, for you have died and your life, look at this, is hidden with Christ in God. Isn't that a beautiful picture? That, they, that our life is hidden in Christ. Our, our failures, our struggles are hidden in Christ. And look at this. This is a big moment, verse 4. Um, um, when Christ, who is your life, appears, and, and when will we see him? That's when we die, when we stand before the Lord. We're going to get the full picture of this. God, your salvation was amazing, and we're going to see this in full, up close and personal the moment we die. We're going to be like, oh, Jesus, thank you for your life. You've hidden me. We will also appear with him. Where? In glory. Folks, there's a heaven. There's a glory. Aren't you glad this world is not the end? Oh, my goodness, aren't you glad about that? Aren't you glad that Jesus overcame this world? That because of Christ who is in your life, eternal life is given to us. And that's why 1 John 5.12 says, whoever has the Son has life. And whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. And you know what I want you to have? Is I want you to have life. And once you receive that life, we've got to live in that life. And learn to walk in that life. And, and think about it. Because of the Holy Spirit, we're alive and dead at the same time. Doesn't that just like, in your head? We're alive and dead at the same time. We're dead to sin, but we're alive to Christ. Look at verse 1 and 2. It says, I love this. Let's catch this. If then, I mean, we just looked at the preeminence of Christ. Paul gets really practical. If then you have been raised with Christ, since you know Jesus, since Christ has saved you, since Christ has brought you to life. Look, ladies and gentlemen, if then you've been raised with Christ, Seek the things that are above. That's the challenge. That's the call we have to seek after the Lord and seek the things that are above. Look at verse 2. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Now, what does it look like to set your mind on things above? This is where, this is where I think that, that many Christians, they, they struggle because they don't know how to, to walk with the Lord. And this is the call of a church. And this is the, the blessing of being in, a, uh, uh, being in a church together. Because week by week, day by day, we are in one another's lives, pushing one another to go, hey, let's look above. Let's set our mind on things above. This is why we turn our face to the Word of God. Because what does the Word of God do? It turns our mind to the things 
that are above. You know what that means? It means his thoughts, God's thoughts, overrides our thoughts. This is why the way we have to live. I, I pray you live allowing God's mind, God's thoughts to override your thoughts. I don't know about you, but there are times I don't think the right things, right? We don't think the right things sometimes. But, but we have the Spirit of God, and what does he do? He uses the Word of God. And what does that help us do? It helps us start to think differently. And I've found that, that when I continually move to think like God thinks, I start to do what God does. And this is the call we have in our lives. Now, where's the best place to do it? Well, we're doing it right now. What is the Lord, what is the Holy Spirit moving us to do? Turn our minds to the things that are above. And the secret is found in Colossians 3.2. Look at what it says. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. That was, why, that was a great word to start our service today. Isn't it easy to look at our problems, look at our struggles, to be overwhelmed by what's in front of us? But haven't we learned to trust the heart of God, that he knows what he's doing? He's with us. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. And so what does that do? It helps us develop a new way of thinking, God's way of thinking. We get heavenly-minded. And, and this is a consistent ch- uh, opportunity for us. It's, not a, it's an opportunity that you have to be heavenly-minded. Think about Romans 12, 1 and 2, famous passage. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. And this is the call we have to to serve the Lord. And this is the invitation we have. And I don't want you to miss miss the invitation that you and I can serve the Lord. And I keep coming back to this incredible opportunity that we have in the midst of a pandemic. God has called us to these days to serve him. And and look, we have power. We have strength. Romans 12, 2 or 1 says, this is your, your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. For then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And do you realize you and I get to live on this, ple- this planet knowing the will of God? Don't you want to know the will of God in your life? Look, he doesn't hide that from us. He reveals that to us. And, and this becomes your everyday life. This is the opportunity for you to know the will of God every day of your life. And this is such a beautiful opportunity where his will becomes your desire. And I remember learning this in college, just wrestling with, I was at a crossroads as a freshman, year, freshman in college. And I, I lived, I was the tennis player at Southwestern Oklahoma State. And, and I had a room by myself. And next door to me was one of the, the top basketball players. And he was from Tulsa. And I remember meeting Corey. And, and man, uh, I was at this crossroads going, man, should I... Do I really, am I really going to follow, follow the Lord when nobody's looking? My parents aren't here. Am I going to follow the Lord? And I remember really at a crossroads thinking, man, is this worth it? And I had this discipline of a quiet time. And, and I remember uh, confronting Psalm 37 at this crossroad moment. It starts out, do not fret because of evildoers, it says, verse 1. 
And in verse 3 and 4, Psalm 37, verse 3 and 4 says this, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And that was a moment in my life as a, as a freshman in college that I remembered, Lord, I can live knowing your will. Oh, don't you realize you can live knowing the will of God? Daily, day by day, and this is the beauty you can have that kind of direction. You can have that kind, of, that kind of interaction with the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords. And this is the calling that we have. And now, now as we seek things above, let's notice what this passage is, is communicating to us, that, that there's some things we stop seeking, right? In fact, there are some things we need to kill in our lives. Let's look at these things. Verse 5, look at this. As we, uh, as we seek the things above, verse 5 says, put to death. Therefore, what is earthly in you? What are the earthly things that are in us? Um, sexual immorality says, impurity, passions, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. So point two is this, we've got to kill some habits. Look, let me tell you something, as a believer, as a follower of Christ, there's some habits that we've got to kill. Now, let, let's recognize this. And this is a very important uh, lesson for us because I know we have a spiritual enemy. There's a, there's, Satan is a, is a deceiver. He's a lion seeking to whom he may devour. He, is a, he, he opposes us. He fights against us. Did you know what I found in my life? Uh, there is a spiritual enemy, but the greatest battle I will face is from within my own heart. Have you found that about you? I mean, most of the time, Satan doesn't have to mess with me because I mess it up on my own, right? And, and, and look at this list of earthly things that we need to start killing. We've got to kill this. We've got to kill sexual immorality. Folks, this is a, a plague in our culture with our devices and the access that we have to sexual immorality. And, and that, that is diverse. That's a, that's a wide-ranging topic. But let me tell you something. As far as the Bible is clear on sexual immorality, it's something we've got to kill in us. God has a plan for sex. And, when you, and sex is, the, is a gift from the Lord. It's the only human act that has truly the, the power to create human life. And so God has created that and put that under the, the most sacred relationship known to mankind, which is marriage between a man and a woman. And this is the call. This is the, the truth. Everything outside of that, the Bible calls sexual immorality. We've got to kill it. Impurity, it says. This is something we've got to kill. We've got to kill this in our lives, and we've got to stop feeding this. And passion that are out of control. Look, we have some passions that, that, that come against us, and, and we've got to kill these things. And let me, let, let me remind you, you have power to do this. The Holy Spirit is in you. Evil desire is something we kill. Look, there are desires we have that are not right, and every one of us, every one of us in this room has evil desires that we've got to get rid of. And we got to make sure that we're not going, yeah, these people, they got evil desires. We have a tendency to think, oh, let's start pointing our fingers at others. But remember what, what Matthew, the uh, on the Mount says. Hey, you, you, you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but you got a log in your own. And so look, there's these evil desires that we have. Covetousness, isn't that a hard word to say? How do you say that? Covetousness. 
Let's try that together. Ready? Yeah, that, that word. Um, we got to get rid of it, which is idolatry. We look at others and go, man, I wish I had what he had. I wish I had the wife he had or the husband she has or the, or the job that he has or the, or the influence that he has. And we got to stop. She has. We got to stop. We got to throw that away. Isn't in Facebook and social media the worst at that? That's everybody's highlight reel. That's not real, right? I mean, look, let's be honest about um, covetousness. Let's learn how to say it first, but then we'll be honest about it, right? Um, but look at verse 6. This is a, look at the warning of verse 6. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. Oh, my goodness. You know, people go, oh, Chris, don't be going like hardcore uh, hellfire and brimstone preacher on you. Hey, let me tell you something. Aren't you grateful that God has warned us about the destruction that is coming? It's kind of like the, uh, you're grateful when you're driving down the interstate and, and you see a big old sign up that says, bridge is out, Right? Because if you didn't, they didn't put that sign up. Guess what? That was a bad day for you. Look, God has warned us. The wrath of God is coming on these things. And that's not, that's not me being harsh. That's being honest. It's kind of like if you uh, go to the doctor and he says, you got cancer. You need to deal with it. You know, uh, that's, that's confrontational and that's harsh. But I'll tell you, we need that kind of honesty. Sin is worse than cancer. Because cancer just destroys this life. But this life ain't the end. The Bible's clear on this. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. And we need to recognize that God is serious about sin. He's serious about it. And we've got to avoid the temptation that, that, that's, to think that sin is no big deal. Let me tell you something about sin. God made him who knew no sin, to be sin for you so that you might become the righteousness of God. Think about that for a second. That God hates sin so much that, that Jesus came, holy God came to be sin for you. Look, we got to stop falling into the trap that thinking, oh, sin's not that big a deal. Oh, we got to stop that. Look at verse 7. In these... You too once walked when you were living in them. So you see the reality that, that, that God moves us to a new life. And once you come to know Christ, you're, you have power over these things. You have strength over temptation. Uh, and now we get an, an additional list of things to kill. Look at verse 8. But now you must put them all away. You've got to put them away. Anger. Boy, that's something we've got to put away, isn't it? Oh, man, anger is, 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 is a trap for us. And look, let me tell you, once you know the grace of God, once you've been touched by the grace of God, you're, you're moved to, to put away anger. And can I just challenge us, if you, especially if you, if you know Christ, we've got to put away anger. Wrath. Oh, isn't it natural to be wrathful? I'm going to get you back. Malice. Oh, man, you're, you're taking wrath to a whole new lever, level, and you're, you're, you're revengeful and malice and slander. Oh, how often our slanderous words come out of our mouth. Look, in the church, 
Sometimes as believers, we slander. We've got to put that away. Uh, it's easy to, 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 to slander someone else or look down on someone else. And look at this. Boy, I feel this one right here. Obscene talk from your mouth. You know, um, uh, that, that I was a competitive athlete, and, and sometimes I got my mouth would, man, I, I'm creative with my mouth. I'm, I'm pretty good at it, you know? I've been punched in the mouth because I've been so good at it in my life. I'm thankful for my wife because she constantly, hey, don't say those things. But, but you know, we've got to put that from our mouth. Verse 9, do not lie to one another. Oh, man, how often we lie to one another. We lie to ourselves, seeing that you have put off the old self, with its practices. Look at it. It says, see to it that you put these things away. You know what we got to do? We got to stop acting like the guy in front of the mirror and start acting like the girl in front of the mirror. You know what I'm talking about? This may be a dumb illustration, but this makes sense to me in my mind. So it's like the guy, you know, men, I know what you do. You walk in front of the mirror and you're like, huh, I look pretty good today. Yeah. And you're like, I'm not working out at all, but I think my biceps are getting bigger. Yeah, that's right. And, and you get in front of the mirror with no shirt on, and your wife sees you, and, and yours like flexing, and all you can see is the six-pack that's underneath that blubber that's like hanging over your belly. But you don't see that. You see the six-pack, right? But, it's, but I watch my wife in front of the mirror. She got that like magnifying mirror, you know, the kind that you have to keep inside because it was outside. It would like start a fire because it's so magnified. And, and like she's like this in front of a mirror. And you know, here's what God does. As a believer, he moves us to, to look closely. And you know what we got to do today? We got to be honest about our failures, right? Let's be honest about where we are. God's word confronts us. Every one of these things need to be killed in our lives. And guess who kills them? You do. I do. Now, the Holy Spirit gives us the power to do that. He gives us the strength to obey him. But let me tell you something. We, you take that step to be baptized, right? I mean, God doesn't just trip you and make you fall into the water. No, he doesn't do that. It's a step in obedience. We obey the Lord. And you might say, well, Chris, how do I do that? Well, the first step in doing that is invest in some genuine accountability. Let me ask you a question. What accountability do you have? I had an intern years ago. This is so funny. Um, this guy was, uh, he, both he and his fiance were working for me as in, in my youth ministry. And, and, uh, and he came to me, the, the, the guy came to me and he says, man, I can't keep my hands off her. We're like four months from getting married and I just can't keep my hands off her. I said, all right, man, I'm going to hold you accountable. And so week one, he comes up, man, I, I still didn't keep my hands off of her. And it's like, okay, man, do this, work on these verses. The, the second week comes, he's like, yeah, man, I messed up again. I, I, I can't keep my hands off. Our third week, same thing, same story. I was like, dude, I, I, I'm not really holding you accountable because this is not working. I said, let me, let me give you a suggestion because this girl's dad was a pastor. And, and he was not, he's not like, like I'm envious of this guy because he had one of those deep voices, you know, when he's a pastor. I don't have one of those, man. I, I, I'm jealous. I covet those things. I can see I got to put that aside, right? And uh, 
But, but he was like 6'3", and he was intimidating as a pastor, man. And I go, I got a suggestion. Why don't you go ask her dad to hold you accountable? And I'm thinking to myself, I wouldn't do that, but you ought to. You ought to do that. And he was like, I'll do it. And so he went to her dad, and he says, uh, I'm not going to give you his name. But he goes, uh, would, would you hold me accountable? He's like, son, I would glad. <laughs> That's not even terrible. It's terrible. I can't even do it. But uh, he said in a really deep voice, I'd be glad to hold you accountable. And I'll tell you, next time it got a little uh, tempting, he's like, I'm good, man. I'm good. I got to go. I'm taking a shower, cold shower. I'm out. I got to go. See ya. That was real accountability. Let me tell you something. You know what the blessing of being a church is? Real accountability. Let's invest. Invest in real accountability. Get some accountability that actually holds you accountable. This is the the joy of a church. This is the call of a church. This is the, the, the responsibility we have with one another. And this is why you've got to make sure that you don't just walk in the door and look at the back of somebody's head. You've got to live life together. Be close to one another. Then what else? You know what that looks like? Another step is to grow in discipline. This is a, a call we have. This is why fasting at, uh, during that Easter season was important. What does that do? It helps us grow in discipline. Discipline grows as you put on some things. Look at verse 10. And having you, you killed some things, but having put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Look at, look, notice this. Notice this verse. It's, it's being renewed. It shows us that, that, that putting on the new self, notice this, that's a continuous process, that God is growing you. The, the, that phrase, being renewed, it's a, a process because when, when you become alive in Christ and we start, we're moved to start seeking the, the things of God, the things of the, of, of the kingdom, we start putting aside these things and, and, and we grow up in our faith. And yes, there are times we stumble, there are times we fall, but we get back up and we get stronger and stronger. And, and, and what, what's it doing? What is God doing in us? He's making us more like Christ. You realize that every time we come together in worship, every time we gather around the Word of God, this renewal comes, this, this knowledge comes. Now, it's not just head knowledge, but it's relational knowledge. Knowing Christ more int- intimately and, and, and knowing the Lord, interacting with the Lord. And this is what I don't want you to miss, that following Christ is this relationship where you interact with God. You listen to him. He, he, you speak to him. You walk with him. This is, the, this is the, the uniqueness of Christianity. It's not just religion. It's a relationship. And that's what I want you to see, that, that the gift of salvation is the gift of a relationship with God that walks through life, that, that, it, that walks you into eternity. You realize that, right? It's like when I was at Voice of the Martyrs in, uh, in Bartlesville. You've got to go there sometime because uh, I, I was talking to the, the director of that, of that incredible ministry, and, and we were in the, the cell that Richard Vermbrandt was in, and, and I just said to him, man, it just is crazy to think how this guy had strength in this moment. And, and you know what he said to me? Brilliant statement. He goes, you know what? 
God doesn't give you dying grace on a non-dying day. And I thought, man, that's a good word. Because you know what? The Lord we serve, he not only walks us through life, but know this, he walks us through death into eternity. You get to have that blessing. And I love that. Knowing God, you know what it is? It's a never-ending pursuit. That's the joy of knowing God. You know, spiritual growth, it never stops. Ever, ever stops. And, and you know, here's my prayer. That, that you see Jesus. That you recognize him. That you walk with him. That you know him. That you recognize the, that Jesus brought you from death to life. And even now, in the midst of our honesty about our struggles, in the midst of the moment here where, where we're feeling conviction, you realize conviction of sin is a gift. Even if you're sitting here today and you're like, I'm lost. I don't know Christ. You realize that's a gift. That's the Lord opening your eyes to who he is. That's the Lord opening your mind to who, what he's done for you. Even you being in this place is the Lord at work in your life. You realize as a believer, as a believer, when we recognize there are things that I need to change, that's a gift. That's why we lean in to conviction. We lean in to the, to the moments when we feel guilt and, and, and struggle. We lean into that. And this is why as a church, we come and confront sin. We confront these things. Because God is molding us into his image. Oh, I don't want you to miss the joy of a relationship with Christ. And you may be here today and you're like, Chris, man, I'm tripping up. I'm falling down and I'm, I'm, I'm crawling right now. Look, we all go through those moments. But look at the church. Look around us. You're not alone. We're together. We're together in this. Now, now real quick, I want you to see this. Because I think it's a really cool, interesting moment as you look at verse 11. Look at verse 11. I want you to notice where Paul goes here. What, as Paul says, look, let's, let's look at the fruit of salvation. Verse 11 says, here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian. You know what Scythian is? It's the worst kind of barbarian. It's the, it's the slum of the barbarians. So Paul's like, we're going to go another level, okay? Barbarian, and then the really bad barbarians, the Scythians. Slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. You know what spiritual growth does? And I don't want you to miss this, because this is incredibly relevant to this moment in in Tulsa. Spiritual growth moves us to overlook distinctions. This is what spiritual growth does. Do you know we have a tendency to look at somebody else and go, man, I'm better than you. It could be gender. I'm speaking of male and female. Those are the two genders that the Bible speaks of. It could be, um, it could be uh, race. Right now, that's, a, that's one of the hottest, most controversial topics in our, in our world. But you know what the gospel does? The gospel 
erases distinctions. Paul has this, this is, this is one of Paul's equality principles. And, and, and you see this equality principle in Colossians 3.11. You also see it in Galatians 3.28 in 1 Corinthians 12.13. Uh, these human distinctions and differences are equalized at the cross because we all are in need of Jesus. We all need Christ. And, and you know what? In the next few months, we're going to take a look at this equity principle in our church. Do you, you realize that right now the the race spotlight in the world is about to turn to Tulsa. Because in just a few weeks, the 100th anniversary of the Tulsa Race Massacre is going to be commemorated in Tulsa. And folks, the spotlight is going to turn on Tulsa. You know what we've, we've begun? And I want you to know this. We, we've begun a partnership with First Baptist North Tulsa. A couple of months ago, Anthony Scott, the pastor at First Baptist North Tulsa, preached here. I went to his church and preached. It was during COVID. It was weird because there was nobody there. It was all online. We served together with First Baptist North Tulsa, which is a prominent African-American church in our city. Uh, we served together at Thanksgiving and did some Thanksgiving work. You, know, you realize a couple of weeks ago, uh, we started this thing called Story Circles with a group from our church and a group from their church. And we're getting together to just dialogue about how we can, how the gospel brings healing to this racial divide that is rampant in our world. And let me tell you something, we've got to get this. We've got to walk this road. We've got to have this uncomfortable discussion. Because look, we in the church have been changed by the gospel. And Paul even writes, look how the gospel changes you. There's no longer Greek or Jew. You know how big that was? You know how big that was to the, the, the church at Colossae? You know how much discrimination there were between Greeks and Jews? Do the cultural study. There's no circumcised and uncircumcised. Do you realize how controversial that was for Paul to write that? That was big time controversy. That's picking a fight. The fact that he said barbarian, Scythian. Do you realize that? That was like, hey, they can be the same. What? Slave or free? No, he says Christ. Look at this. Christ is all and in all. When Christ saves you, there's no distinctions. Folks, we got to get rid of our distinctions, right? The gospel does that. The gospel saves us from our, our, our struggles with all of these issues. Man, has Jesus changed you? Let's look like it. If you say, yeah, he has, let's act like it. Life's too short, and the opportunity's too amazing to do that. Now, I've gone a little long today. Will you allow the Lord to speak to you in this moment? Let me tell you something. I need some of you to come pray. Joe's going to come, and, 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 and we're going to have an invitation we need some of our people praying for God's direction in the coming months as the racial spotlight happens. Look, folks, we need to pray about this. We need to pray for wisdom about this. We need God's wisdom to bring the gospel to the forefront in the midst of this discussion. There's so many 
conflicts about men and women. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna run head into it in the next several months. Hey, let's be a part of the solution in our world. And you know where that starts? It starts with you walking with Jesus. Are you walking with him today? Let's get on our knees. Let's worship the Lord. Our altars are open. Joe's going to lead us in this song, and then we're going we're to go to the Lord. If you're at home, let's get on our knees and pray for God's wisdom, God's direction. Joe, lead us. Lord Jesus, Lord, we know we fight on our knees. So this morning, we, we, we need to pray for our, our relationship with you, our walk with you, to, to, to put these things away, put these things to death, to, to set our mind on, earthly, on, on, the, on, on heavenly things, Lord, we pray. Move us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.